0: Uh, you know, as we have more and more people coming back and want to see that happen, uh, there's a couple of areas that we're going to need some help so we can make it easier. One is in children's ministry, so we can begin to offer some children's uh, activities during the worship service to help our parents out. And so if you can help with that, please let Sharon McGillberry know that. Also, we're going to need more and more help in our tech ministry. So many awesome things are going on because the online experience is so wonderful and we keep trying to improve it. We're going to need some more people to help in that. So if you have some tech ability, uh, please let us know about that. Our theme this morning is you are being watched. Uh, Normally that's sort of a scary thought for us. We think about the FBI putting us under surveillance We we think about technology now and how someone is able to get on our phone and use our camera and literally watch what we are doing. It's sort of scary for us. But when Peter talks about us being watched, he believes it's an opportunity. He believes it's an opportunity for us to shine for God. I remember my first job, I was youth minister at the Northport Church, I was 19 years old, we had a guest speaker, he was an older man from Arkansas, a wonderful man, and at the end of his guest speaking time, he sort of cornered me in the foyer and said, I need to talk to you for a moment. And I said, yes sir, his name was John T. Smithson, great man. And he said, um, I just want to tell you that everybody in this church is watching you. You're young, you're new, and everybody is watching you. And I said, yeah, I know. I got in trouble for falling asleep a few weeks ago in church. Everybody is watching you. And he said, you know what, buddy? He says, you can either be upset about that or you can use it for God's glory. You can live in such a way that people are drawn to Christ. And that is what Peter's saying. Look at Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, let's start here in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. let's stop there just for a second. Remember, we're exiles, we're foreigners. These people are living in countries that are not their home. Our home is in heaven. And he says, as foreigners and exiles, your life needs to be distinctively different. You know this, if you go to a foreign country, what they think about America is what they think about you. I mean, their impression of you will determine their impression of our country. I'll never forget when the Iron Curtain uh, came down, going to Ukraine to preach, and it was an incredible opportunity. But I met people of, of different extremes. I met a young college student who was scared to death of Americans. I mean, every time we were gathering, he was on the other side of the room. He really wouldn't speak. He really wouldn't talk with us. And finally, I got to ask him, what's going on here? He said, you know, I'm just afraid you guys are going to start shooting this place up. I said, what are you talking about? You know I figured out in the long run? This guy had watched so many American movies, he thought all we did was shoot at people. And so he was scared to death of us. And then later, there was a Ukrainian coal miner. And, and he came up to me, just warm, and he said, all Americans are wonderful. And I thought, let me introduce you to a few. You might not think that, okay? He said, all Americans are wonderful. I said, why do you say that? He says, because I'm a coal miner outside of Gorlovka. And um, a few months ago, for the first time, an American executive came to look at our coal mine. And we went down a long elevator in the middle of the coal line. We went down a long shaft. Then we're coming back out, about to get back on the elevator. And this American executive, he's got his coat on, town, nice dress shoes. He asked us about a certain Ukrainian man that was with us that wasn't now with us. And he said, where's so-and-so? And we said, we don't know. And we saw that American executive go back through that coal mine, sometimes having to crawl on his hands and knees in this coat and tie to look for that Ukrainian. He said all Americans are wonderful. And this is what Peter believes. When people see us, even though we're foreigners here in this land, they are either going to decide Christians are wonderful or Christians are people they should be afraid of. And when Peter's writing here, they have great reason to be afraid of Christians. So look at the next verse. Here's what you do. You live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits Peter's quoting Jesus, "'Let your light so shine before men "'that they may see your good works "'and glorify your Father in heaven.'" Here's what Peter believes. Even though you might be suspect as a Christian, you could live your life watched as an opportunity in such a way that people are gonna be drawn to Christ. Quotation I read years ago stuck with me. There are two reasons why people are not Christians. Reason number one, they don't know a Christian. Reason number two, they do know a Christian. See, either it draws us or it pushes us away. And Peter believes it can draw people. In fact, look over in chapter three what he says, how powerful this can be. Chapter three, let's look at verses 13 through 15. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you do suffer... For what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Listen to this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Listen to me, Peter says this, we can live such attractive lives, we can be such advertisements for Jesus Christ, that someone might see us and say, why are you so different? Now remember, Peter's writing to a group of people in, in troubled times, and my friends, when times are troubled, when Christians are undergoing suffering, it is the greatest opportunity for us to be different. In such a way, someone's going to go, you know what, this, this is a terrible time. I mean, we've been in this pandemic. You're going to have to wear a mask to church, my goodness. I mean, you can't do the things you used to do. We're, we're scared about the economy, and, and yet you and I can be full of joy and hope. To a point, he says, they're going to want to ask you. Boy, what, what, what great application for what we're living through right now, right? Now, so watch this as an opportunity. But watched is also an incredible challenge, okay? And you can see the word of the day up here. It's the word submit. And what Peter is saying is, what may best get people's attention about your faith is that you submit. I mean, this is a hard teaching not many of us like the idea of submission because i don't like people telling me what to do how about you but yet this has been man's struggle since the garden of eden where god says do not eat of the fruit we understand the same thing if you walk in a room it says wet paint don't touch what are you gonna do i'm touching all right I mean, this this lack of submission has been a part of us from the beginning of time. And Peter certainly understands this. At times in the Gospels, he's very unsubmissive to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to die on a cross. Peter, the Bible says, took him to the side and rebuked him. And he's so unsubmissive, Jesus calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It's not natural for us in our fallen state to submit. Now, some of you are better at it than others. Some of you, how many of you would consider yourself a rule keeper? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm not dare putting mine up. How many are not rule keepers? Okay, I, I tend not to be. I especially don't like rules that don't make sense, okay? So if you make a rule for me and I can't make it make sense, I think it's a waste of time, I am prone to break it. It's so bad that a couple years ago, I was visiting my children in New York City. George is about three years old, and it didn't make sense to me. We had to go to the end of the block to cross the street. There were no cars. And so we jaywalked, and I get to the other side, and my little three-year-old grandson says, grand you need to be more cautious. <laughs> I just don't like rules that don't make sense. But Peter's going to say to me and say to you, it doesn't have to make sense to you for you to submit. You see, it's easy to submit when you agree. It's not so easy to submit when you don't agree with what's going on. So let's listen. Go with me to a nice reading here, Second Peter chapter 2, right after he said, Our good deeds should glorify the Father. The first word he's going to say is the word submit, verse 13. Read with me. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Think about Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. There was no reason, logical reason for Jesus to suffer And he keeps going, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now this is challenging to say the least and I want to talk about some of the people that Peter calls people to submit to. First of all, he says to submit to authority. He says that they were submit to the emperor they are submit to the governors you know Romans chapter 13 says that God has set up government to help rule the world government is God's plan to keep us from chaos but we find ourselves in a very difficult position in our world today we say okay buddy that sounds really nice but I don't like this guy or I don't like this guy and some of us in here are saying, if he's elected, there's no way I can honor him. If he's reelected, there's no way I can honor him. Take a little time out here for a second. Peter is telling them to honor the emperor Nero. <laughs> That's pretty challenging. Sort it of takes our excuses away, doesn't it? And many of us need to learn to, to live in greater honor, not necessarily because we are, are in agreement with everyone, but because of the position that God has put them in. So submit to authority. And here's a real tough one. Submit to masters. Now, here's the question we got to ask here. Is, is Peter pro-slavery? Now, well, first of all, slavery in this day was quite different. Um probably a third to a half of Roman citizens were slaves. And, and slavery in this day was not race-based. In, in fact, you could be, you know, a common laborer, or you could be a doctor or a lawyer and still be a slave. It was really more a way of employment. The, the, uh, the Romans who weren't slaves thought their job was just to sit around and do what they wanted to, and they employed everybody else that was slaves to do all the work. And so... Um, In some ways, this would be analogous for us to how you treat your boss. But I think we've also still got to say, it's still slavery. It's still one man owning another. And what I would say to you here is Peter is not condoning slavery. What he's trying to do is give them on-the-spot instructions of how to live in a difficult situation. Because Peter knows what you and I know. Change does not happen quickly. And between now and when the seeds of Christianity that all men are equal and created in the image of God, between that and when it will come to fruit and destroy slavery, we got to live in this situation. And so what he's saying is we've got to live in such a way in the midst of wrong treatment— That people are drawn to God. And that's what I love about God's church is we break down barriers. And that's what happened through history. But at this moment, they needed to learn to live in their circumstances. So he says, submit to authority, submit to masters, submit to suffering. And, and, And Peter says, if you are going through suffering right now, you're in really good company. Jesus himself was suffered, even though, you know, you could look at any of our lives and go, there's plenty of reasons for things to go bad in my life. I've done so many things. In Jesus' life, there was absolute nothing but perfection, and yet he was willing to submit to suffering. And, And what Peter's been teaching us in this book is suffering is God's way to shape us. We don't have to like it. But it's the way God shapes us into the image of his son. And then he also says here, for wives to submit, in particular here, to their unbelieving husbands. He said, you could win them over by the way that you treat them. Now, I think we all struggle with this idea of submission because we've all seen it abused. Especially in marriages. Where where, where some man uses God's commandments about submission... You know, to degrade and to abuse their wife. And that's not what Peter's saying here. What he's saying here is you've got to treat somebody in such a way that attracts them to Christ. And then, obviously, the whole way through this passage, we are submit to God. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Let me mention some people on top of this that need to submit. Husbands. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says there is a mutual submission between husbands and wives. He goes on to particularly talk about a wife's role, but he starts off with saying submit to one another. We need to submit to teachers. Any of you that are in the education profession know today it's not what it was 30 years ago when people naturally submitted to authority. We need to submit to church leaders. We need to submit to neighbors. We need to submit to friends. We need to definitely submit, according to what he's saying here, to our bosses. You say, well, I just, I don't like what you're saying today. And obviously, I don't like it. This is only the second time in my career I've preached about submission, okay? But let's talk about, let's defend submission for a second. How do we, why is this so important? Okay, let's give some some defenses. First of all, it's just practical. Would anyone want to live in a society where no one submitted? You see, God said that this is his plan to keep order. Now, for these Christians here, it's extremely important that they honor the emperor and they submit. Because Christianity is new. And all kinds of false rumors are being spread about Christians. Everything from their cannibals because of communion to their immoral because of the love feast. And on top of this, the Romans are charging that they're a cult and they're subversive and that their goal is to overthrow the government. And and so what Peter knows is, is that if these images stay up, nobody's going to listen to the gospel. And so we need to submit to those authorities because it's practical in any organization. There's no way to have any successful organization where somewhere there's not some place of authority and some place of submission. Even in the church where we're taught to serve one another, to wash each other's feet, to put others first, there still are people we call elders, overseers. Who look over our souls. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says that we are to submit to those who look over our souls. Yeah, it's not always easy. I remember when I first moved here and uh, we were getting attacked because we were becoming a non traditional church of Christ and there was like a weekly rag sheet that was written and uh, I, I was really mad. And, 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 and I wanted to, to write back. I thought, you know, I, I need to defend myself. I need to defend this church. I need to send this back. You know, so I'm, I'm writing all these things. And I meet with the shepherds of this church. And they say, buddy, we're not doing that. We're not playing that game. We're going to stay true to our mission. We're not going to get off mission with silly debates. And we forbid you to write back. Now, that didn't feel real good. But 20 years later, I know they were absolutely right. And what I needed to do is submit. And Father, guys, if you're, you're um, familiar with the organization, of the, the church in the New Testament is, you know, the highest position is of elders and overseers. I'm called to submit to them. And, and normally that's easy because we pretty much are on the same page. But there are moments where they say, no, this is where we're going. And unless they ask me to violate my conscience, I've got to say yes in a humble way. Now, I think about something that's been a, quite a big controversy around here the last few months. You know, where the elders decided that we were going to be very safe in this assembly, and we required social distancing, and we did the most controversial thing in America today, we required what? Mask. I wish y'all could laugh about it. It's such a sensitive issue. But you know, like I told you earlier, I'm not much of a rule keeper. And you know what? If it was up to me, I don't know. Where I was just really thankful I didn't have to make that decision. And so I don't have any choice but to submit. And some of you that are using this as a point of contention Guys, you've been put in an organization where God has ordained people to make these kind of decisions. You know, they've prayed, they've researched. Maybe your research is different. I don't know. But in the long run, we are called to submit. And it shouldn't be that difficult for us because we know these men. We love these men. We trust these men. If any men are not power-hungry in this city, it's the men who shepherd this church. So it's just practical. Now, there are limits to it. In Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, Peter and the apostles, they rebel against the government. And and Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. If the shepherds of this church or the leaders of our country ask you to do something that violates the very will of God, yes. And then think about the practicality in in marriage. That there's got to be someone in the long run who in a loving way who's serving their wife and loving her as Christ loved the church, that's a game changer. Make sure you look at the whole passage. But someone who calls the final shot. I love Tim Keller. He's one of my favorite preachers in New York City. And I, I, like, I like to listen to his, his sermons and I've read some things by his wife, Kathy. And she talks about submission. They live in the middle of New York City where submission is probably a terrible subject. And she tells this story. Uh, They were living in Philadelphia. Tim Keller was a professor. They had a really easy life in the suburbs. And, And Tim began to feel the call to go to New York City to plant a church. Kathy was completely opposed to it. She did not want to raise her three boys in New York City. And so he wanted to go. She didn't want to go. And finally, Tim just said, if you don't want to go, then we won't go. Listen to what she said. Oh, no. You're not putting this decision on me. That's abdication. If you think this is the right thing to do, then exercise your leadership and make the choice. It's your job to break the logjam. It's my job to wrestle with God until I can fully support your call. What a beautiful example. Guys, let's just be honest here. Any organization only works when there's a sense of submission. Because when you join a church, or a family, or a friendship, or a business, it always means that you can't do whatever you want to do. And I've seen people get married, and think, you know what, I, you know, I'm married, but I'm still gonna live like I'm single. I'm gonna go out anytime I want to. I'm gonna do my thing. And it's disastrous. When you got in that marriage, you said it's not just you to be taken into consideration. It's somebody else. And there are moments both ways. Because I'm married to Stephanie, there are moments where I've just got to go, okay, we're going to go to the restaurant you want to. We're we're, we're, Not today. We're going to (laughs) do. No, we're eating at home. We're going to do. We're going to do. You know, I, I don't have to have my way all the time. So, first of all, it's just practical. Second, and here's what we're talking about right now, it is relational. It's not popular. But I I love what Peter says here. You've been given freedom, but don't use your freedom as an excuse for selfishness. Paul would say, you've been given your freedom to serve. You see, any relationship means, I give up some of my freedoms to serve you. You give up some of your freedoms to serve me. Here's our problem in America. I think I've always got to stand up for my rights. And some of us are more concerned with being right than we are in being loving. It's relational. It's missional. That's what Peter's saying. Peter's number one goal here is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go across the world And he knows if I go to work or in my family with unbelieving people and my disposition and my attitude toward them is not to be right, they're not going to listen. Because some of us, we got to look at this. Some of us are just flat difficult. And we're okay with that. And then we want someone to listen to us about the gospel. When I go to work and I'm difficult, when I go to work and I'm critical, when I go to work and I'm volatile, when I go to work and I complain about everything the boss does or doesn't do, and then I say, I want to tell you about Jesus, why would they want to listen to me? Here's here's what Peter is saying. Is there something bigger than you getting your way? Are you elevating your opinion? It's the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And one more thing. It's faithful. In the long run, when I submit myself to these things that aren't always fair and just, I've got to do exactly what Jesus did. Here's verse 23. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Even when it does not make sense to me, there's a moment where I got to say, you know what? It doesn't make sense to me. On my own, my rebellious nature, I wouldn't do it. But God, I'm going to trust you. You've put this authority in my life and I'm going to trust you. It's like uh, the long-term campaign about drinking. If you drink, don't drive. What's the point of that campaign in America when you're under the influence of alcohol and you're intoxicated, you're, you're impaired in what you see and what you do and how you react and what you could do could cause terrible troubles to other people. So let some, put, ter, give the keys to somebody else before you go and do something stupid. Hurt somebody, hurt yourself. And I think what Peter's saying to us is, Some of us are intoxicated with our own power. Some of us think we're always right. And some of us are not willing to submit. And Peter says, it's time for you to give the keys over. You're not in a good place to make all these judgments. So trust somebody else. So, It's a powerful thing. So here's my question as we close out this lesson. Who do you need to be more submissive to? I mean, seriously, be honest with yourself. Who do you need to be more submissive to? Yesterday, Stephanie and I were out doing something. She told me to do something. It just flew all over me. And I reacted in a very defensive way. And after we got through that, I said, guess what I'm preaching about tomorrow? (laughs) Submission. (laughs) And I'm sorry I didn't react the right way. Who do you need to be more submissive to? Who do you need just to give a break? Now, the decisive point is this. I mean, Jesus is our example, okay? And the decisive point for Jesus happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And listen to me, listen closely here. Jesus was more concerned there with our salvation... Than his rights. Do you hear that? He was more concerned with our salvation than his right. And what does Jesus say? It's not easy. If anybody thinks this is easy, it wasn't even easy for Jesus. Jesus is flat on the ground, beating the ground. He's got blood drops coming off his his, his forehead. I mean, that's a sign of stress. He's beating the ground, begging God that he doesn't have to submit. Let there be another way. I don't want to go to the cross. But in the long run, here's what he says Your will be done. And guys, all of what we're talking about today starts with you and I submitting to God. To us coming to the point where I've wrestled too long, I've lived too independently, I thought my way is right too much, God. I just give. I surrender, I submit, your will be done. I like what one writer said. In the long run, either you're going to say to God, your will be done. Or God's going to say to you, your will be done. He's going to let you live out the consequences of your decision to not submit to him. So today, there's a number on the screen here. If you need public prayer, this number is like being on the front row today. If you need public prayer and you want the church to pray for you, this is the number. There's other places to pray, have private prayer. But if you need to grow in submission, if you need God's power to submit to him, to submit to the people around you, If you recognize right now you're being watched, you're being watched at work, you're being watched at school, you're being watched in your neighborhood, you're being watched in your family, and right now the way you're living is not drawing people to Christ, just text us that, and we'll pray about it. And as you contemplate that, as we prepare for communion, the the worship teams can come and they're going to sing a song called Be Lifted Up, and I'd like you just to, to sit during this, if you know the song you can sing along. If you don't, it's a great song of reflection, of putting Christ where he belongs and us where we belong on our knees.